Chapter Fourteen of Quaidan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Scott Carpenter. Quaidan, Stories and Studies of Strange Things by Lafcadio Hearn. Chapter Fourteen: The Dream of Akinosuke. In the district called Toichi of Yamato Province. There used to live a goshi named Miata Akinosuke. Here I must tell you that in Japanese feudal times there was a privileged class of soldier farmers, freeholders, corresponding to the class of yeomen in England, and these were called goshi. In Akinosuke's garden there was a great and ancient cedar tree, under which he was wont to rest on sultry days. One very warm afternoon he was sitting under this tree with two of his friends, fellow goshi, chatting and drinking wine. When he felt all of a sudden very drowsy, so drowsy that he begged his friends to excuse him for taking a nap in their presence. Then he lay down at the foot of the tree and dreamed this dream. He thought that as he was lying there in his garden, he saw a procession, like the train of some great daimyo, descending a hill nearby, and that he got up to look at it. A very grand procession it proved to be, more imposing than anything of the kind which he had ever seen before. And it was advancing toward his dwelling. He observed in the van of it a number of young men richly apparelled who were drawing a great lacquered palace carriage, or gosho guruma, hung with bright blue silk. When the procession arrived within a short distance of the house, it halted, and a richly dressed man, evidently a person of rank, advanced from it, approached Akinosuke, bowed to him profoundly, and then said, Honored sir, you see before you a kerai. Vassal of the Kokuo of Tokoyo, my master the king commands me to greet you in his august name, and to place myself wholly at your disposal. He also bids me inform you that he augustly desires your presence at the palace. Be therefore pleased immediately to enter this honorable carriage which he has sent for your conveyance. Upon hearing these words, Akinosuke wanted to make some fitting reply, but he was too much astonished and embarrassed for speech. And in the same moment his will seemed to melt away from him so that he could only do as the kerai bade him. He entered the carriage. The kerai took a place beside him and made a signal. The drawers, seizing the silken ropes, turned the great vehicle southward and the journey began. In a very short time, to Akinosuke's amazement, the carriage stopped in front of a huge two storied gateway, Lomon, of a Chinese style, which he had never before seen. Here the kerai dismounted, saying, I go to announce the honorable arrival. And he disappeared. After some little waiting, Akinosuke saw two noble looking men, wearing robes of purple silk and high caps of the form indicating lofty rank, come from the gateway. These, after having respectfully saluted him, helped him to descend from the carriage, and led him through the great gate and across a vast garden, to the entrance of a palace whose front appeared to extend west and east to a distance of miles. Akinosuke was then shown into a reception room of wonderful size and splendor. His guides conducted him to the place of honor, and respectfully seated themselves apart, while serving maids, in costume of ceremony, brought refreshments. When Akinosuke had partaken of the refreshments, the two purple robed attendants bowed low before him, and addressed him in the following words, each speaking alternately according to the etiquette of courts. It is now our honorable duty to inform you as to the reason of your having been summoned hither. Our master, the king, augustly desires that you become his son-in-law, and it is his wish and command 
that you shall wed this very day, the august princess, his maiden daughter. We shall soon conduct you to the presence chamber, where his augustness even now is waiting to receive you, but it will be necessary that we first invest you with the appropriate garments of ceremony. Having thus spoken, the attendants rose together and proceeded to an alcove containing a great chest of gold lacquer. They opened the chest, and took from it various rows and girdles of rich material, and a kamuri, or regal headdress. With these they attired Akinosuke as befitted a princely bridegroom, and he was then conducted to the presence room, where he saw the kokuo of Tokoyo, seated upon the daisa, wearing a high black cap of state, and robed in robes of yellow silk. Before the daisa, to left and right, a multitude of dignitaries sat in rank, motionless and splendid as images in a temple. And Akinosuke, advancing into their midst, saluted the king with the triple prostration of usage. The king greeted him with gracious words, and then said, You have already been informed as to the reason of your having been summoned to our presence. We have decided that you shall become the adopted husband of our only daughter, and the wedding ceremony shall now be performed. As the king finished speaking, a sound of joyful music was heard, and a long train of beautiful court ladies advanced from behind a curtain to conduct Akinosuke to the room in which the bride awaited him. The room was immense, but it could scarcely contain the multitude of guests assembled to witness the wedding ceremony. All bowed down before Akinosuke as he took his place, facing the king's daughter, on the kneeling cushion prepared for him. As a maiden of heaven the bride appeared to be, and her robes were beautiful as a summer sky, and the marriage was performed amid great rejoicing. Afterwards the pair were conducted to a suite of apartments that had been prepared for them in another portion of the palace, and there they received the congratulations of many noble persons and wedding gifts beyond counting. Some days later Akinosuke was again summoned to the throne room. On this occasion he was received even more graciously than before, and the king said to him, In the southwestern part of our dominion, there is an island called Raishu. We have now appointed you governor of that island. You will find the people loyal and docile, but their laws have not yet been brought into proper accord with the laws of Tokoyo, and their customs have not been properly regulated. We entrust you with the duty of improving their social condition as far as may be possible, and we desire that you shall rule them with kindness and wisdom. All preparations necessary for your journey to Raishu have already been made. So Akinosuke and his bride departed from the palace of Tokoyo, accompanied to the shore by a great escort of nobles and officials, and they embarked upon a ship of state provided by the king. And with favoring winds they safely sailed to Raishu, and found the good people of that island assembled upon the beach to welcome them. Akinosuke entered at once upon his new duties, and they did not prove to be hard. During the first three years of his governorship he was occupied chiefly with the framing and the enactment of laws, but he had wise counselors to help him, and he never found the work unpleasant. When it was all finished he had no active duties to perform beyond attending the rites and ceremonies ordained by ancient custom. The country was so healthy and so fertile that sickness and want were unknown, and the people were so good that no laws were ever broken and Akinosuke dwelt and ruled in Raishu for twenty years more, making in all twenty-three years of sojourn, during which no shadow of sorrow traversed his life. But in the twenty-fourth year of his governorship a great misfortune came upon him, for his wife, who had borne him seven children, five boys and two girls, fell sick and died. She was buried with high pomp on the summit of a beautiful hill in the district of Hanryoko. 
and a monument exceedingly splendid was placed upon her grave. But Akinosuke felt such grief at her death that he no longer cared to live. Now, when the legal period of mourning was over, there came to Raishu, from the Tokoyo Palace, a shisha, or royal messenger. The shisha delivered to Akinosuke a message of condolence, and then said to him, These are the words which our august master, the king of Tokoyo, commands that I repeat to you. We will now send you back to your own people and country. As for the seven children, they are the grandsons and granddaughters of the king, and shall be fitly cared for. Do not, therefore, allow your mind to be troubled concerning them. On receiving this mandate, Akinosuke submissively prepared for his departure. When all his affairs had been settled, and the ceremony of bidding farewell to his counsellors and trusted officials had been concluded, he was escorted with much honour to the port. There he embarked upon the ship sent for him, and the ship sailed out into the blue sea, under the blue sky, and the shape of the island of Raishu itself turned blue, and then turned grey, and then vanished forever. And Akinosuke suddenly awoke, under the cedar tree, in his own garden. For a moment he was stupefied and dazed, but he perceived his two friends, still seated near him, drinking and chatting merrily. He stared at them in a bewildered way, and cried aloud, "'How strange!' Akinosuke must have been dreaming, one of them exclaimed with a laugh. What did you see, Akinosuke, that was strange? Then Akinosuke told his dream, that dream of three and twenty years' sojourn in the realm of Tokoyo, in the island of Raishu, and they were astonished, because he had really slept for no more than a few minutes. One Goshi said, Indeed, you saw strange things. We also saw something strange while you were napping. A little yellow butterfly was fluttering over your face for a moment or two, and we watched it. Then it alighted on the ground beside you, close to the tree, and almost as soon as it alighted there, a big, big ant came out of a hole and seized it, and pulling it down into the hole, just before you woke up, we saw that very butterfly come out of the hole again, and flutter over your face as before, and then it suddenly disappeared. We do not know where it went. Perhaps it was Akinosuke's soul, the other Goshi said. Certainly I thought I saw it fly into his mouth. But even if that butterfly was Akinosuke's soul, the fact would not explain his dream. The ants might explain it, returned the first speaker. Ants are queer beings, possibly goblins. Anyhow, there is a big ant's nest under that cedar tree. Let us look, cried Akinosuke, greatly moved by this suggestion, and he went for a spade. The ground about and beneath the cedar tree proved to have been excavated in the most surprising way, by a prodigious colony of ants. The ants had furthermore built inside their excavations, and their tiny constructions of straw, clay, and stems bore an odd resemblance to miniature towns. In the middle of a structure considerably larger than the rest there was a marvellous swarming of small ants around the body of one very big ant, which had yellowish wings and a long black head. "'Why, there is the king of my dream!' cried Akinosuke. "'And there is the palace of Tokoyo! How extraordinary!' Raishu ought to lie somewhere southwest of it, to the left of that big root. Yes, here it is. How very strange. Now I am sure that I can find the mountain of Hanryoko, and the grave of the princess. In the wreck of the nest he searched and searched, and at last discovered a tiny mound on the top of which was fixed a water-worn pebble, in shape resembling a Buddhist monument. Underneath it he found, embedded in clay, the dead body of a female ant. End of chapter 14 The Dream of Akinosuke